Today I am with Christina Angelides, a member of the class of 2002, a tennis team captain, and a former SBO president. Thanks for joining me. So glad to join you too, Tegan. Thank you for having me. So class of 2002, who is your mascot? You know, I had to think about this for a second, and it was one of the Smurfs, and then I had to remember it was Smurfette. And yeah, we had like aqua blue, I don't know if they still have like the pennies. The jerseys, yeah. Yeah, we had like aqua blue uh, and white was, I believe, our colors, and it was Smurfette. I don't think we really, I don't know, over the years we didn't really love Smurfette. Do you have a fond um, memory or favorite St. Francis memory? I have a lot of wonderful memories from St. Francis. It was such an awesome place for me in high school. Um, it just gave me a lot of space to figure out who I was and grow like uh, personally and academically. And um, so I have a lot of memories. I was I was trying to think about this, and actually the one that like immediately came to mind I don't know if it's my favorite one but it's it's up there was I don't know if you guys still do um the homecoming decorations uh contest yeah and that was really big for me I was always like one of the people in my class who was in charge of that every year and our year my senior year um the theme was board games oh our class did monopoly and uh, so me and this other classmate, Laurel Guarini, um, we, uh, Laurel Glasmeyer, sorry, <laughs> Laurel Guarini, that was another classmate. <laughs> Laurel Glasmeyer and I, um, we designed and built like all of these huge things and motorized things. And I built this PVC pipe motorized Ferris wheel. Oh my and gosh. I had no idea how to like attach motors and use motors. Um, and I remember at the time the, the maintenance guy and the physics teacher were both in there helping me I was like drilling the stand for the ferris wheel and it worked it was like amazing it was like 20 feet high um I was in home depot with my like St. Francis skirt (laughs) just laying out PVC pipes PVC pipe glue is also really hard to get off your hands remember the chemistry teacher um who looked like Santa Claus at the time he was wonderful I forget his name but he uh I had to use acetone on my hands. Oh my gosh! To get the PVC pipe glue off. Um, and then my mom and I—I I was I was known for making anything out of chicken wire in my class. I could make you anything paper mache chicken wire. And so that year, my biggest feat was we made my mom and I made a ten foot size like hand rolling a dice that we hung from the uh, the hoop, the ba- the basketball hoop. And uh, I just remember feeling like super proud, like. I didn't know how to make any of those things, but I just, like, made them because that was the thing that you did at St. Francis. It was just kind of like you had this crazy idea, and you just did it. Um, And so I remember that being, like, a really fun memory of doing that with all my friends. You know, we were staying up super late at night, and homecoming was always, like, super fun. Yeah, lots of crazy emotions. You're crying and then screaming and then running around last minute. (laughs) Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And then as an SBO president, uh, do you have a favorite event that you planned and then ran? Oh, my goodness. I, I'm trying to remember on that front. I, it was really fun being the SBO president. It was really fun to run for the office and serve in the office. 
Um, it was just a, always like super enjoyable to like get to know the classes and the, the teachers. Um, I'm, I'm really trying to remember like uh, some of the things that I did and I, I'm really blanking, but I do remember one of the opening kind of assemblies Um, We were trying to get people really excited about sort of SF sports Mm -hmm. and trying to get more attendance from students at the time to like get out there and support our awesome women um, out on the sports field. And so I remember me and my friends made like a video and I had like a like one of a handheld video camera at the time. And it took me hours to edit it. I think I did it at home on like a VHS, a small little TV and we were cutting and splicing and we set it to music and we choreographed like kind of like a whole dance. And I remember that being just also really fun. Um, it was, so I, was, I, I, I can't remember like other things that we did. I think the only other thing is we organized like a, um, a charity week. That was also really great of trying to organize with uh, trying to connect to local charities and encouraging students to be more active in the community. Um, but uh, there was lots of fun memories of being SBO president, but those are just a couple I can think of. Um, it's SBO election season right now, so all the different fun posters are out, and um, my friends and I were just talking, like, it's the perfect week to come to school with, like, without eating breakfast or something, because girls are running around like, here, take a donut, take some candy, like, vote for me. Oh, my goodness. I remember making, like, handmade little bracelets, and oh yeah the signs were always like a big deal you really thought about your signs yeah and I remember going to like my mom would take me to the copy shop and you make lots of things it was I'd work on my speech for weeks it was was really fun (laughs) yeah um so I have heard that you know lots of languages and I went through an immersion program um for elementary school um and then I'm on Uh, learning French right now. My immersion program was Spanish, but um, how did you learn so many? Um, Well, I I grew up um, half Greek. My my dad's side of the family is Greek, and uh, his parents uh, often took care of me. They lived really close to St. Francis, and so often after school, I would go over and visit my my grandfather and my grandmother, my yaya, papu, is how you say their names in Greek. And so I was exposed to just Greek when I was younger, and um, they would teach us. And um, but I didn't formally learn Greek until later in college. But I actually started probably most formally learning languages starting in kindergarten. I went to a really small private elementary school called Brookfield, um, which I don't know if it's still around in Sacramento, but it was a very interesting place where like but they started you with French at a really young age, and we did at least like an hour, two hours of French each day. Um, so I got to uh, learn French growing up all through eight years of elementary school. And then when I went to St. Francis, I wanted to switch to learn Spanish. And so I learned Spanish for all four years there and really enjoyed sort of just transferring French to Spanish really easily. Um, and then also like middle of probably the beginning of St. Francis, um, I started working with this painting teacher. Um, I do, I still do art, oil painting and drawing um, throughout my life, but I really started to learn there. We would go down to the Delta near Locke, which is about a half hour from St. Francis. 
And I would work with this Chinese artist and he taught me Chinese calligraphy. He taught me Chinese. And so when I went to college, um, I took Chinese all four years. And then I also took Greek, uh, modern Greek for my first year to learn it. A lot of what I had known as a kid more formally. So a lot of it was just like years and years of instruction and just like early exposure to language was really helpful. Um, and just lots and lots of rote memorization and practice. That's awesome. I'm, and I'm sure it came in um, hand working in politics. Yeah, it was it was always so helpful, especially in California, where there's so many languages mm-hmm. spoken and so many communities are trying to do outreach to. Um, when my father ran for uh, governor, he was the California state treasurer um, in California. And then in 2006, he ran for governor. He was a Democratic nominee. And so I would um, give speeches in Spanish and Chinese to different communities that we went to. And it was always so fun just being able to speak that community's language um, would just help you break down a lot of barriers just to be able to engage with them. The fact that you had taken time to say, speak to them in their own language and try to connect with them um, was a big deal, I think, always. And so that's always really stuck with me. And um, I wish I had more opportunities to practice, but um, I'm just going to have to vicariously live through my through my little. That's amazing. Um, and then after St. Francis, you went on to um, school at Harvard. Congratulations. Like, that's amazing. Um, and so I'm a junior and looking at schools. And a lot of my friends and I talk about, like, oh, gosh, like, we really want to go to the East Coast, but the weather's so different and it's so far from home. Like, talk about that transition. It was, it was a doozy of a transition. Um, I really... I was excited to leave. I knew when I was applying to school, I really wanted to also go to the East Coast. I wanted to have a totally different experience away from home. And um, and so we had gone to look at schools, and I really resonated with Harvard, and I was so excited. I got in early there. Um, at the time, you know, they had an early action application, and um, so I got in early before the holidays and was just so stoked and excited. Um, and so I went there, yeah, the, the fall of 2002, and I was, like, totally unprepared for the change in weather. You know, the fall is really beautiful there. You have the change of colors, and then, like, November, December hits, and it gets really cold. Oh, my gosh. And I never had had a wool coat or a parka. Like, I had gloves and mittens from, like, skiing, but, like, not, like, everyday use. And so... That was a big transition to get used to, like, you know, getting all the gear that you need. Um, and then it was just even more shocking that it was like, it goes on for months. Oh, no. Like, uh, March or April, it can still be, like, bitterly cold at moments. Um, and I remember my little sister came to visit me. My little sister went to St. Francis also, and I think she was a freshman at the time. And she flew out for my birthday, and there was a huge snowstorm. She got stuck there for a couple of days. And I remember her just, like, loving the snow. But I was already at February so over being cold. And I really do think I had, seasonal, like, that seasonal defectiveness disorder, like, my first year. Just the going from having, like, so much sunlight, playing tennis every day in California to just, like, indoors most of the time. It does affect you. Um so it took a lot of getting used to that first year. Um, I grew to really love the seasons. I stayed back east for basically all of college, then plus another like 11 years after that. I lived in New York City with my um, with my boyfriend, who then became my fiance and husband. 
Um, and I, I just like, I grew to really love the seasons and I do miss them now that I'm back, back here in California. It's, it's beautiful here in Los Angeles and like every day, 70 degrees, but I do miss like the changing of the colors in the spring and that there is something really lovely and nice that you grow to appreciate there. Um, but I don't miss being. <laughs> Oh my gosh. Yeah, I'm always telling my mom, like, oh, I just want to go someplace where, like, it's different and it's, uh, there's seasons. And she's just like, you don't know. <laughs> but it was like the one really nice thing about going to the East Coast was, yeah, it's, it, there is some different cultural elements there. There's just some things that, like, I was never exposed to as a kid living in a busy, big city. And, taking, you know, like the subway or public transit all the time or, um, you know, meeting people from other parts of the country, especially in a lot of those schools. There's there's people from everywhere, internationally, from small rural communities to like big, you know, cities like New York City. So it's great. You get just like a lot of exposure to so many different people there, which I'm sure you do in California also. But there's something like unique about being in a place like Boston that's like so fun and interesting and different Mm -hmm. and then you also spent some time working in the White House how tell us about that experience and what your role was yeah so in 2008 um, I joined on to the Obama campaign on the national advance team and uh, the national advance team on campaigns is in charge of setting up all of like the big events uh, small, small and large events, but, you know, anything that you see on TV that's, like, a major rally or in the newspapers, um, there's an advanced team that's, like, in charge of, like, setting that all up, designing it, like, getting the crowds there, orchestrating the press, doing the design um, of the events, and then you're responsible for leading the principal um, through the event. Um, so I joined onto the national advanced team, and I was traveling all over the country, was probably in a different place every three to five days you'd land and you'd have just a couple of days to figure out everything about that city oh my gosh a hundred thousand person rally a couple days later so you're trying to figure out all your vendors you're trying to figure out how to where to do it how to do it um and that was super fun so i did that um up until uh the election um, and then I stayed on to work on the, at the for the inauguration. Um, I did the uh, president's whistle stop train tour, which was super fun. He travels on a train before the inauguration um, from up north, um, typically Philadelphia, all the way down to D.C., and so organized all those stops and rallies along the way. And then after that, I was asked to join on to um, the the national advance the advance um, team in the White House as a consultant, and so I advanced the president's trips domestically and internationally, um, which was really such a wild and awesome experience to be able to go all over the country representing the president. We usually land a couple weeks in advance of him and do everything from negotiating sort of with foreign governments, who he was meeting with, what they were talking about, where they were going to go, where he's going to stay, all those, all those details and all those kind of logistics. Um, and it culminated in uh, one of my final trips was actually his first trip to China, which was so fascinating. It was, is really cool. I had um, been there to do my thesis research and it was really fun to go back 
um, after, you know, having gone there during Harvard to go back and be there with the president and experience all that and all the fun that is, all like the challenges and like the secret kind of political kind of power dynamics that happen between nations behind the scenes and... Um, and then I uh, went back to New York City after that. It had been, you know, a lot of months on the road. It was mm-hmm. really fun, and it's a great culture. Um, but you also start to miss your family and miss your family yeah. everyday life. So I returned to everyday working life, <laughs> back to the Natural Resources Defense Council, um, where I stayed uh, for a number of years in New York City. And then when you were on the um, National Resources Defense Council, would you say there's because that uh, focused primarily on, like, climate um, and climate issues, right? Yeah, so the Natural Resources Defense Council is an international environmental nonprofit advocacy organization, and they do everything from policy to um, litigation, like suing um, polluters, um, to working with policymakers to craft legislation, to running grassroots campaigns and media work. Um, And they focus on a range of issues. Climate is one of the most important issues, but they also focus on preserving and conserving natural resources and wildlife um, and ecosystems. Um, They also focus on public health and trying to remove toxins from sort of our food supply chains and from um, our water systems. Um, So they do a range of work here in the U.S. and then internationally and in China, India, and then some work in Europe and Latin America. Um, And I worked on policy primarily while I was there. I worked on federal, state, and local policy. Um, While I was at NRDC, I went and got my business degree at Columbia Business School at nights and on weekends. Oh, my gosh. And, um, yeah, I was there for about 14 years before I recently left. Um, my most recent kind of work there was focused on helping cities to accelerate climate action. So I directed the Bloomberg American Cities Climate Challenge. It was a, over a $100 million effort to help 25 cities advance over 200 different policy actions on climate. Everything from uh, decarbonizing our buildings, converting a lot of their systems to electric, to bringing more solar um, power to communities. Um, to improving sort of transit and mobility options. So increasing kind of zero emissions electric vehicles, you know, increasing public transit options, helping, you know, bring more e-scooters and e-bikes for kind of last mile travel to avoid car trips. So um, it was a really great experience working with mayors and cities. They're some of the most fun people to work with and really care about their communities. So that's what I've been focused in the last number of years. That's amazing. Um, And then recently you just switched to a new job, right? Yeah. So I just joined um, Elemental Accelerator. It's a nonprofit climate tech and equity focused venture capital firm. And so um, it is supporting kind of early stage to growth stage uh, climate tech startups that are trying to change the world. And they are trying to bring more diverse founders Um, into the climate tech space. They're trying to focus technologies on underserved communities and really trying to accelerate the gap that, you know, many many startups and founders face and trying to commercialize their technology. So I have joined as their director of their policy lab. So trying to make the connection for how policy affects uh, climate tech innovation. That's awesome. And with all your work, um, 
on climate, would you say there's something that sparked your interest um, in working on climate? Yeah, there's there was a there was a number of things that brought me to the climate work. So when I was at um, Harvard, I did my thesis research on public health issues in China. Um, I was trying to set up sort of rural insurance programs um, for a professor at the Harvard School of Public Health. So I was out in the western provinces, um, climbing mountains to talk to rural farmers. Oh my gosh. China and asking them sort of about their kind of health habits to sort of would they purchase insurance, you know, and um, could they form kind of community cooperatives to lower the cost of, of health and uh, drugs that they needed um, and make just healthcare more accessible and better in, in the rural provinces. Um, and what I learned there is, you know, one that like access is really, you know, uh, a challenge there, but also their exposure to a lot of harmful kind of pollution is just a bigger problem in the rural provinces. So most of the community members, even though they farmed, it was part of their civic duty to go to local coal mines and help sort of support operations there, sometimes in their free time. And it was kind of mandated by the government for them to like pitch in and help. Some of them did it to earn extra income. But, you know, you have a majority of their community that's like in and around or working in coal mines and coal plants, um, which is problematic from a lot of standpoints for those communities. And they're also facing kind of the biggest burden from the pollution um, of, of all aspects of having those operations near their homes and their farms. Um, and so I was really, that, that was one piece that sparked me. The other piece was when my dad ran for governor, I got exposed to just so many different communities that were facing impacts from local industrial facilities or from air pollution. Generally, their children had asthma and were landing in the emergency room all the time. Um, or like they were in and around coal plants or drilling facilities. Um, and I got to sort of really experience and hear community members about that. And that is actually where I got exposed also to the Natural Resources Defense Council. I ran into them in China and then I ran again in California. And that time I was like, you know, I got really interested in what they did and made friends with some of the staffers and like, you should apply for a job here. You should come join us. And so that's kind of how I entered the climate space was just seeing a really interesting organization, seeing some kind of interesting things that I, I cared really passionately about. And over the 14 years, my purpose and sort of uh, reason for being in the space only grew. Mm -hmm. um, it really, when I became, when I had children, really became about like securing a better future for them, wanting them to live in communities where they had options, where they were safe from climate impacts. Um, it's really upsetting right now, sort of what's happening and sort of what trajectory we're on. Um, and working with cities and with others, it's, it's, you know, we have the technology, we've got, you know, many communities that have the will to do this. It's about sort of overcoming all of the barriers that exist. Um, and it just kind of became sort of a calling for me over, over the years. It maybe didn't start that way, but certainly over the years, as I've dug in, I've, I found climate as a way of engaging with communities and some of like their biggest core interests and needs. Um, it really touches all aspects of people's lives, especially nowadays. You see it more and more. You can't escape it. And anything from their pocketbooks to sort of their their health to their safety. That's really, yeah, that's really amazing. Um, and then with all your work across the world, do you have any advice 
for our trubies? Yeah, I mean, one thing I would say is, um, I, I guess I would say a couple things is like, remember that like you as an individual can have really big impact. It doesn't seem that way when you're in high school. You know, some some people have big dreams, but a, a lot of folks I think are wondering like, well, I don't know how much of an impact you know my actions yeah. make or will my job lead me to a place where I can like make change? And I think the thing I've found is the answer is yes. And I think that St. Francis was that really special place that taught me the value of like being a self-directed leader Mm -hmm. of being someone who could be like, I see a problem or I see a fun challenge and like kind of getting back to that homecoming story of like, I'm going to learn how to make a motorized Ferris wheel. (laughs) I'm just going to do that. And those skills are really important when you go into the workforce of having that kind of can do attitude, having that sort of willingness to like roll up your sleeves and like do the hard work of learning and like, um, and knowing that you can do it if you put in the time and knowing that you can make an impact. It's, there's, there's just a wealth of opportunities where sectors and industries need super smart women right now, especially they need women who, um, can step up to the plate and, and are ready to share their their talents and their knowledge. There's not enough women leaders in this workforce. And um, so I just, I would say, remember that, that you can have a huge impact no matter what you do and how you do it. And it's even more important that women really step up these days um, to show all the amazing things that we can do, that we can be workers, we can be mothers, we can be just kick-ass mm-hmm. in so many different ways. So that's like, I guess, one thing to think about. Um, And I think the only other thing is to like, keep an open mind and be curious about what, you know, what you want to do and what you want to learn and where you want to go. Life can just take you into unexpected areas. And um, even if you find something is not a fit, uh, just remember you're learning things all along the way that will lead you to the thing that feels like a good fit. So um, maximize learning wherever you go. Be curious about what other people have to offer you, their perspectives, what they can teach you, the mentorship they can provide you. Um, And just, yeah, I I would just say, like, make sure to keep an open mind. And then um, the last thing I would would just offer is to make sure to have fun. Um, One thing that I have underappreciated and I think you know started with with St. Francis is like St. Francis I'm sure it's still this way it's it instills an incredibly hard work ethic in you and there's like a like a value of excellence there right of like work really hard and achieve all that you can that's really important um and has helped propel me into so many different successes in my career Um, And the other thing is to make sure to have balance, make sure to like have fun because you can also burn yourself out. So make sure that like you're pairing that drive for excellence with an equal drive for like your community and fun and those things that like fill you up with energy and um, give you that fuel to run hard at success and um, and different milestones that you're trying to reach. It's really important to spend time with your family and spend time with friends and do activities you enjoy like tennis and draw or 
um, do podcasts, you know, like, do those things that like give you energy and invest in them. Cause those are sometimes just as important at taking care of yourself as it is like learning all the calculations. Yeah. Well, thank you. Uh, and then one final question, how would you, um, if you could use one word to describe your St. Francis experience, what word that would that be? Oh my goodness, that's really hard to choose one word. Um, I don't know. I'm I'm gonna go with like something my little sister might say of just like pizzazz. <laughs> that's a great word. <laughs> It was always just so fun. It was just a blast. So I miss it. And yeah. Well, thank you for taking the time to talk with me today. You're truly living out St. Francis's motto of graduating girls who change the world with all your work in the climate field and um, with all your work at the White House. So thank you. And it's been so good getting to know you and getting to hear from you. <laughs>